One does not simply walk into geekdom. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. You're a nerd. Damn right. I'm a nerd. Naturally. All things geek are up for grabs. Music. Skits, comedy, or sitcoms. Dr. Who. I love Tim. Hurt. The Flash. Green Lantern. The Trinity. Batman. Superman. Wonder Woman. The Joker. Wait a minute. I want to talk about the Joker. Star Wars. Love me some Star Wars. Magic. I'm an art guy. Paranormal. Halloween is life. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Welcome, nerds and nerdettes, to the New United Nations podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Nicholson, from the Great White North, and I'm also here with my co-host from the Midwest United States, Jared Boots. How are you now, Jared? Uh, a good new? Mm, not so bad. <laughs> We're here today to talk about the 1960 version, which many of you might not know about, um, of Little Shop of Horrors. And this was a movie that I had yes. absolutely no idea existed. <laughs> You and about 90% of the other population in the world, when people think Little Shop of Horrors, they automatically think Rick Moranis in the musical version from 1986. Yeah. It's been sitting on my shelf for a while. Then I heard it on the Dead Meat podcast. It was turning 60 years old this year. I'm like, hey, take a look. Hey, we should do an episode on this. We did 60 years on a House on a Haunted Hill. Why not Little Shop of Horrors? It's just as good. Mm-hmm. And and can't say I wasn't too shocked when you said you didn't know. You never heard of it. Or not that you didn't never heard of it, but he didn't know it existed. Mm-hmm. Just because a lot of people never know it did. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, yeah, because like the, when I, you know, you first hear Little Shop of Horrors, just like everybody else, you know, you think of the, you know, 1986 version with Rick Moranis, you know, and I, I actually, like, I haven't seen that version in a, I don't know, really long time, but I know that when I first saw it, it was, I loved it because it was, you know, it was a good movie. It's fun. Um, although I can't remember yeah. much about it because it's been so long since I've seen it, but. Yeah. Um I really enjoyed this version though. It was uh it was a lot of fun. And, and quite funny. Uh, <laughs> and uh the thing is, is that Rick Moranis' version is not even uh well, it, it is an offspring of this one, but what it is is an adaptation of the the off-Broadway musical from 1982 which was uh offshoot of this so i believe it when this movie film in 1960 off-broadway product musical in 1982 then the movie in 86 and there was a cartoon series in 1991 wow so i'm 
determined <laughs> to find the cartoon series and to see if I can find some video from the original uh, 1982 off Broadway, but hard to find. But we'll do some uh, YouTube search or yeah. looking for find by nefarious means if need be. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. It's got to be. If yeah, somebody yeah. posts, well, it, I know this is on YouTube. Yeah, it was actually like when I was looking for it on YouTube, there was a couple versions of it, and I, um, I actually found a really good version of it after a bit of a little bit of digging. It was perfect. So, yeah. Uh... I I found out through the Dead Meat podcast. It's this movie is public domain, so you're allowed to put it on YouTube. So technically, I thought about just joking, like, "Hey, you know what? We could technically just upload the whole movie, <laughs> insert us talking, and submit it as an episode." Like, fuck, it's public domain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I told you another another gal named Samantha, like. They know we'll look for Amazon Prime. I'm like, no, I heard the quality of Amazon Prime sucks. Go to YouTube. It's on there. It's public domain. You can watch the whole thing for free. Mm-hmm. But me being snobby, I own it on DVD. Hoo-hoo. What <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, you do? <laughs> I, think, I, think I, I think I bought it for a dollar at Best Buy. Wow. <laughs> but it, it actually had... It actually has uh, Seymour on the cover instead of Jack Nicholson because I, I saw uh, a little trivia effect in IMDb, so you take it with a grain of salt, that uh, once Jack Nicholson's uh, popularity started to rise, they started putting him on the cover of this movie, even though he's only in it for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> but he's also like it's also like one of the most memorable scenes in the whole movie, though. It definitely is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he's sitting there reading Pain magazine. <laughs> yeah, getting all excited about getting his teeth pulled out and feeling the pain and. <laughs> Aren't you gonna pull any? <laughs> So, uh, you said you wrote down a little brief synopsis of the movie. Why don't you go ahead and uh, fill people in for those who, even though they may be familiar with the Rick Moranis version, there is still there is still some differences between that one and this one, at least story wise. Um, so, why don't you go ahead and give like a give us a brief rundown of what the film's all about? Yeah. So the movie is about uh, Seymour Krellboyne, who works in a flower shop. And he creates a new plant species that he names Audrey Jr. in honor of his girlfriend, Audrey. Um, Audrey Jr. is no ordinary plant. And it begins speaking and demands to be fed human flesh and blood. And this is when things start going wrong. (laughs) From, you know, what he thinks to be kind of an innocent plant turns (laughs) kind of a little in in over his head. (laughs) Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> well, speaking of IMDb, like anytime you mention IMDb or um, or Wikipedia, that's when you have to get your salt shaker out when you take in these facts about the film. Well, taking facts about stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, did you say who's directed and written by? No, I did not. If you want, All right. it was uh, directed <laughs> by Rod. It was directed by a legendary Roger Corman, and written by Charles B. Griffith. And going back to the trivia facts, uh, it's legend that this movie was made in two and a half days on a budget of $22,500. And they essentially taking care of this movie while they were just finishing uh, Bucket of Blood, which is another Dick Miller movie from the same time, uh, 1959-1960 era. Um, they used a lot of the same sets, too, from Bucket of Blood. They hmm. brought over a uh, legendary... They brought over uh, legendary that guy actor Dick Miller, who I just love in this movie, by the way. Sitting there eating the flowers and shit in the <laughs> flower shop. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Hayes as Seymour Krelburn. Uh Jackie Joseph as Audrey, who would go on to play Mrs. Futterman in Gremlins and Gremlins 2. Uh, Mel Wells as Garvis Mushnick. Uh, Dick Miller as Fouch, who also go on to play Mr. Futterman. And we also have Myrtle Vale, who go on to, who plays uh, Seymour's mother, Winifred. And another character that pops in and out is uh, Mrs. Shiva, written by Leola Windorf. Which, the poor Windorf family. <laughs> she is single-handedly keeping that flower shop in business with all of her uh, funeral flowers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the only the only uh the only person I can remember coming in that she was buying flowers for was the cop's kid <laughs> later on in the movie. Yeah. And it I watched the movie twice last night, that way I could have it soaked in my brain pretty well because it had been a while since I'd seen it last and I realized how much this movie I'd actually forgotten because yeah. I haven't seen it in so long. Yeah. With the whole dialogue, the, the whole exchange between the two cops when we first meet them. And I shouldn't be laughing at this, but when the first cops is how we the cops is how we lost this kid for playing for playing with matches. <laughs> <laughs> from playing with matches. Oh, that's that's the breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and that that joke gets paid off later in the episode when Mrs. Shiva walks into the flower store to buy flowers for him. <laughs> and then with the Oh, Frank, I'm so sorry about your son. Uh, them some breaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I was talking about this movie last night is I, I love the dark humor that's in this movie. It's very... Uh, it almost sets the trend for dark humor movies, dark humor and horror comedy movies. Yeah, definitely. It's it's it kind of sets itself up to be this sort of innocent movie, like just these oh, these, all these people, whatever they're doing their thing, and then it's just got this sort of dark, like I don't know. Um, that's where I'm looking for. I don't know, but it's it's just like underneath it, it's like dark, <laughs> you know, the dark humor, and it just, yeah, there, you know, a few parts of it, it's just, yeah, it, it play it plays off as this, oh, you know, whatever, and 
but it's you know it's not and I, I think that's what makes it fun is it has that mix of of each of each thing it's got a good balance of that and it just you know it makes it fun to watch and all the characters and you know so <laughs> you, you get a lot of that dark humor just sprinkled all the way through it like even with um some of the things you hear Mushnik saying when he's rambling to himself or talking to other people or um, how uh, <clears throat> Seymour's mother is, uh, what's the word for Seymour's mother? Uh, she's a uh, hypochondriac. Yeah. Well, she's always got one foot in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> you said you're going to buy me an iron lung. You promised me you weren't going to get married until you bought me an iron lung. (laughs) (laughs) You can breathe just fine. Oh, it's something like it's a struggle. (laughs) Some days it's a struggle. (laughs) And I I love that. Mother's got one foot in the grave. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love when they they like Seymour and Audrey and they go to dinner at his mother's house, and <laughs> just like all the things that they they have, like oh the cod liver oil with sulfa powder sprinkled on top, and <laughs> I think it was uh, chow mein with Chinese herbs and I think it was athromycin or something, and <laughs> did the shot. Uh, was it? Wasn't it Epsom salts? Epsom salts, maybe. Can't remember. Maybe I've... Yeah, and then the, they drank the cough syrup before dinner. This tastes like cough syrup. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, like when he... Like Audrey gives, uh, you know, Seymour a, a, you know, a regular... You know, peanut butter sandwich, and he's like, "There's not nothing like to cure any cure anything." <laughs> he's just totally confused by the, how normal this thing is. <laughs> I think that's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, there's just so many, so many good quotes in this one. Good lines, and even you get the most random. You get the random stuff too with uh, Dick Miller's character just eating flowers in the in the shop. Oh, here are your carnations. I'll wrap them. Wait, I'll wrap them up for you. No, that's all right. I'll eat them here. <laughs> yes. Just pulls the salt sugar out, starts going to town. And uh, one of the uh, trivia effects in do is he was legitimately eating flowers for that scene. And. Uh, I guess Dick Miller was offered the role of Seymour, but he wanted the role of uh, Mr. Fouch. And I like the, in the, because it was sort of, um, you know, some of the scenes I find like are a little bit longer. So like I was able to sort of, you know, you can see in the, the stuff in the background or whatever. And I, I love the signs that he has up in the, in the shop and like lots of plants, cheap. And we don't, uh, we don't let you spend so much. <laughs> <laughs> Was just, you know, and like you can't just you know regularly read it. Like you got to read it in his voice, right? It's just you know, 
it's basically like made how it how we would say it, you know. How <laughs> Mushnik would say it. <laughs> uh, Mushnik is like another standout character in this movie. Uh, if we flash forward uh, such a little bit when he first spies uh, Seymour feeding body parts to Audrey to Audrey too or Audrey Junior. Uh, when he's trying to get drunk back at the restaurant, bring me whiskey, rum, wine, gin, bourbon, scotch, rye, tequila, sake, minishevitz. <laughs> the world wants to cook now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he definitely, yeah, he's, he's one of those memorable characters out of the you know, the cast of characters that are, that are in the movie. And, um, you know, I definitely, you know, this is going even a little bit farther into the movie, but, um, you know, when he's, he's looking after, uh, or keep kind of keeping an eye, keeping an eye on, um, Audrey Jr. for Seymour. And while well, Seymour's on his, on his dinner date with Audrey and, you know, he's kind of interacting with, with, the plant and and I, I love the line you know listen here you botanical bomb <laughs> <laughs> there's some other line in there too that was funny but i can't remember what what that was but yeah his his interactions with the with the characters are just are just hilarious <laughs> Did you call me Mr. Mushnick? No, I was calling John D. Rockefeller for to, for to make a loan of my Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I uh, mentioned earlier that Charles B. Griffith wrote the screenplay. Did you know, according to IMDb, that he also played a couple other parts in this? No. Really? Did you know he was the he was standing off screen as the voice of Audrey Jr. as a reference for the actors and actresses, but the voice of the plant was supposed to be dubbed by another actor in post production, but the his vocalization got so many laughs that the producer director decided uh, who was notoriously cheap kept his voice in there. So uh, Charles B. Griffith is the voice of Audrey Jr. who wrote the screenplay. Oh, wow. He makes two more on-screen appearances. He's the guy that comes running out of the doctor dentist office covering his face before Seymour goes in. Yeah. And he's also, he's also the guy that tries to rob the flower shop towards the end who gets eaten by Audrey. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> so making the most of that low budget. Oh, yeah, of course. You, you got to... You know, you get you get creative when you have a you have a low budget. You know, you do what you can. <laughs> it definitely, you know, it as much as it does show that you know it, it was a lower budget movie. It still it's a it it's still a solid movie. Like it's still you know it's um you know it's it's still really good and and fun to watch and you know. Um, you know, they, they definitely, you know, they, they pulled it off with, with what, you know, with what little they had, but they sure made use of it. You know, they were wise with, you know, their resources and stuff. So, 
Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah, sometimes it's sometimes it is a little bit like a you know, watch this sort of like you're you're watching a recorded stage play because it's you know, but you know, it's still enjoyable. It doesn't ruin your your watching experience at all, so. <laughs> Oh, not at all. And you take an effect that the conditions it was made under that it is actually a pretty decent film. So, and um, how have you call it nostalgia factor to watch it for? It, it's more of a cult classic, is what it is. And, yeah. and that's what Roger Corman is known for is making cult classics, like low budget cult classics. It's always those, those you know, low-budget films that just are sometimes the best. Because, it, I don't know, I feel like the most creativity comes out of those ones. Like, they just, yeah, they you know, they become the cult classic or whatever, but it's still, like, you know, they can be pretty solid movies. And, you know, like I had said before, like, that creativity and, and just, you know, a, a lot goes into, I think, I don't know, maybe they put a little bit more, not that, not that, people making these movies don't put effort into making them but like maybe it's that little bit more effort just because you're thinking of you know um how you want to make it and okay we have this you know chunk of money to use and how can we you know use it wisely and you know things like that whereas you know you have a big budget film well well you can do whatever the hell you want so you know i like these sort of kind of slightly cheaply made films because they are just they end up being really fun and just a a good decent movie and that's why i think like i i really like this one i um i thought it was you know it's a fun a fun watch it's got and it's got a short runtime too it's only what 72 minutes so yeah uh Hour and twelve minutes of your life, and it's not a waste. I've watched things that are a lot longer, be a lot bigger waste of my time. Oh, exactly. And you'll never get you know the two hours back, right? You know, or the whatever hour and a half or something. You know, I'll take a nineteen sixty black and white film with Dick Miller eating legit flowers in a flower shop over a computer graphic Hulk eating waffles or an omelet, whatever the fuck he was eating in a high budget movie. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I will take that too. (laughs) It's, you know, eating flowers is much funnier than Hulk saying, say green and taking a selfie. (laughs) Did you watch the black and white version or did you watch the color? I guess there is a colorized version of this too. I haven't seen the colorized version. Uh, I watched the black and white. I think it's, I think it's better this way actually. Even though I haven't seen the colorized. It's, just, it's a very black and white feeling movie. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like mini... Well, Mini side tangent, but still relates to things. <laughs> it's it's a lot like you know, um, a Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim. That one also has a color version. I've seen both the black and white and the color. The black and white is the best. 
it just it just brings so much more out for some reason. Like it's just the color just ruins the movie. Whereas like I don't know, seeing a color version of this one would be kind of weird. I think black and white would be is the the better one. Oh, just it, I, maybe yeah, it just a be- look more. I'm very afraid to see what like ugly shade of color the walls are and like Seymour's mom's apartment or oh god what color of the what color of the walls would be in a flower shop or something. <laughs> I could see like Seymour's mom's walls being like I don't know pink or something like a like not like a bright pink but like um I don't know like a. Or maybe even a slight peach color or something. I don't know. I just <laughs> with like awful curtains. Well, maybe and... be like a... Yeah. <laughs> maybe be a, maybe be like puke green, like when they colorized something from Andy Griffith. Was yes. something uh was it one of the was it barbershop or some some part of Mayberry some building in Mayberry like the puke green walls. <laughs> yes. That's totally what it would be. <laughs> I just feel like that would totally be her her style. And then, yeah, like the the flower shop, I don't know. It would be... I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> so the black and white... The black, the black and white just fits. Like watching the old Universal Horror movies or watching some... Older Vincent Price. I got Vincent Price movies that are in color too, but watching those, watching the ones I have in black and white, or watching Night of the Living Dead in black and white, it just, mm-hmm. it fits it. Yeah. Don't change it. Exactly. Some movies, they just, it totally, black and white totally fits. And like, yeah, like I watched, uh, speaking of the Universal Monster movies, I watched The Invisible Man recently, the you know Claude Rains version. And like, that in color would be just, weird like it it wouldn't suit it at all so like black and white totally works you know or like you know the wolf man in color like ugh, that would be weird <laughs> it's funny to think of that like oh in color like, oh it would be just weird it just black and white suits it so much you know kind of sets the tone for the movie you know yeah oh like take take case in point, Wizard of Oz works really well with that. If they get the part when she, Dorothy's in Kansas, it works really well for the being in the monotone black and white. Mm-hmm. Then when she gets Oz, it's all bright and colorful. I do like that compare and contrast, but yeah. stuff like Little Shop of Horrors just deserves to stay in black and white. Oh, exactly. You know, I get like you know they they want to I guess modernize it by making it in color, but. It just it it takes away that that charm that whatever that movie has that you know when you you make something in color and just yeah if if it you know it, it works so well so like don't you know <clears throat> I know they've already kind of they've already gone and done it but they shouldn't have <laughs> like you know if it ain't broke don't fix it you know. <laughs> So usually, if people who do know this movie, they think of Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. who plays the unforgettable Wilbur Force, 
And, uh, which I and I, I told Melissa before she watches. I told everybody before, when they may have them watch this. I go, Jack Nicholson's what twenty three in this movie, yeah, and he is very much he's very much Jack Nicholson. <laughs> he still looks and sounds like Jack Nicholson sounds now. Oh yeah. Definitely. Like he just yeah, he his character is so so creepy, like so delightfully creepy, but you know, you, you gotta love him though. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really and he's just uh Go ahead. I, I really enjoyed his his character in the movie. It's kind of a highlight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My name is Wilberforce. <laughs> Wilberforce what? Just Wilberforce. My first name is Wilbur. My last name is Force. I don't have a middle name. <laughs> I'm like, all right there. <laughs> <laughs> have to come back tomorrow. Oh, I couldn't do that. I have three or four abscesses. I have a touch of pariah. Nine or ten cavities. I lost my pivot tooth and in terrible pain. <laughs> Yeah. Every time I watch it when he's reading that pain magazine in the lobby. He's just like, ooh. The patient came to me with a large hole. (laughs) The patient came to me with a large hole in his abdomen caused by a fire poker used on him by his wife. He almost bled to death and gangrene had set in. I didn't give him much of a chance. There were other complications. The man had cancer, tuberculosis, leprosy, and a touch of the grave. I had to, I decided to operate. <laughs> uh, yeah. I kind of actually, I, well, we kind of skipped over the fact that the dentist in this movie, well, Jack Nicholson's playing a, a masochist who's just like addicted to pain. Mm. Well, we took over the dentist, uh, who's just such like a narcissist, loves hurting people. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love, I would love to have seen a scene between uh, this dentist and Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Sure, like a very love love relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but to kind of, to kind of get to uh, Jack Nicholson and Seymour meet, we got to go back a little bit to when uh, Seymour introduces his plant to help drive a business at the shop. <clears throat> Keeps dying, so he's got to find a way to feed it. And when uh, I don't think he cut himself on a rose, did he? And I know he grabbed some kind of flower and he poked himself and he started bleeding into the mouth of a uh, yeah Bobby Junior. Yeah. And then it, it, that's when it was like it, it wanted more. And then he, he figures out that, oh, you like, you know, you like blood or whatever. So then he's like, oh, well, you know, what do I do? Right. Yeah. So we uh, get to a scene where Seymour's down by the train tracks. And uh, I guess. Uh, Allegedly kills a guy. 
I was poking fun at the scene last night because how, not how the scene is, put, not how the scene is, but how the scene is edited together. Mm. It's just so choppy. Um, oh, yeah. That's really the only beef I have with the scene. I found so, I found so humorous. He hits the guy at the rock, and the guy stumbles around, stands up, and falls back down onto the train tracks. And this man gets hit by the slowest train ever. <laughs> I think that's yeah. just a huge editing issue. Like, it seems like for several shots, that train is the same distance away. And cutting oh, back and forth between random shots of Seymour reacting to it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, my God. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, how slow. That's all I was thinking and watching that scene was like, how slow is this train? Like, dude. He could have, he fell down, he stood up, he fell down again. I was like, dude, you could just stand up and walk away, but no. And then suddenly, train comes. Boom. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that yeah, was... He, he, got up on his, he, got, he got up he got up on his knees in time to look at the train hitting him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what, what, what makes that scene even more hilarious is just the, the random... Like two or three same reaction scenes of Seymour reacting to it, <laughs> just intermixed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Uh, and then you know, finally happens. But uh, that was hilarious. I admit, I was laughing my ass off during that whole thing. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So. So we come to find out that man was an undercover police officer because, uh, according to the other cops we meet later on, there were ice thieves down at the train tracks. Yeah. The one they need to get in the railway detective to search the scene. <laughs> and just happens to get hit in the head with a big fucking rock. <laughs> of all things. <laughs> Oh, ruined day. Oh, oh. Such yeah. fucking reaction scene of him getting hit by the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was... That's where it's sort of like, you know, full budget, or is it not not very good at editing? <laughs> Definitely one or the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> can it be like, slip a guy a 20. Hey, can you edit this for me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Piece it together as best well, you like can. Like I said, uh, Rod, Roger Corman was the sort notoriously cheap. And, um, we don't get the. I believe it was. I was watching a dead meat YouTube kill count on the Slumber Party Massacre videos, uh, films, and which were produced by Roger Corman. And they're saying that Roger Corman, when he, I guess later on, he had like three requirements for horror movies. It was like blood, boobs, and so it was butts. <laughs> like so, you. Wow. I might be wrong, but I know, like, I think two of them were blood and boobs. 
So you'd have like a, a nudity requirement for to do a Roger Corman film, at least. <laughs> but I, I do like it's this one's classy not having any nudity in it. Oh exactly. Probably but, um, classiest movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> Most things that were I I love this film. I'll defend this movie to the death. Like I'll I watch this a hundred times over. I watched the Rick Moranis one. Yeah. Uh, nothing against Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis did Rick Moranis did a very good job playing Seymour. I think that's probably one of my favorite performances of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Is Rick Moranis as uh, Seymour? Mm-hmm. I I could pick holes in the rest of it. <laughs> um, the person I also say that Jack Nicholson was better at being the the paint the patient than Bill Murray was. But I think Bill Murray also played it differently. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray's character more got off on the bat, essentially just loving it instead of just being addicted. Um, yeah, where is... Love... <laughs> I keep Aren't you going to pull any? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whereas, like, yeah, like, Jack Nicholson's character, like, he just... He, he brought that sort of... Yeah, that that person who's addicted to to pain and has like sort of the he he loves that and he's sort of um you know you can kind of tell like yeah he kind of gets off probably like gets off on it but it's like it's sort of in a different way and and he's just he has a, a creep factor like through the roof but you know and he, but you still have to love him because he's just you know um. But you definitely, you know, as much as you, you know, you love the, the, the character and just how he is, you know, you got to think to yourself, like, yeah, like, you wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. <laughs> Be like, ah, nope. You <laughs> might enjoy it. <laughs> might hand you a knife here. Why'd you, why'd you give me a couple stabs in the old gut there? <laughs> work, work the midsection, why don't you? <laughs> oh, I'd be like, ah, oh, no. Here, here's here, here's a knife, and I'm just gonna walk away now, <laughs> or run. My name is Wilberforce. It's <laughs> Wilberforce. Would you please force this knife into my abdomen? <laughs> I don't do a very good. I don't do a very good Jack Nicholson. I think that's pretty good, but then that's me who's not very good at impressions. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Jack has also gone to record saying that Roger Corman didn't want him in the film because he worked with uh, Jack on another film before oh, yeah. one of those earlier films and um, I believe you listed it off to me when uh, I told you that it was supposed to be Jack Mickelson's first film when it, when it actually wasn't um, yeah. It was his his actually his fourth film. Um, the third or fourth? I think it how it was I've listed. Heard there. Um, it was because this is from now. This could be taken with a grain of salt, but <laughs> um, but this was from uh, Wikipedia, and in his film listing, it was. From 1958, it was The Crybaby Killer, Too Soon to Love, The Wild Ride, and then 1960 was The Little Shop of Horrors, and um, 
Yeah, it was a little shop of horrors. So, yeah. Yeah. It was a crybaby killer when he worked with Corman. Oh, okay. So I guess he said, he said Corman didn't want him playing it straight, so that's why he's so over the top in this scene. Hmm. Well, I think he he doesn't well, really club. I really think so. Boy. I can remember back to when I was watched this movie for the first time, and like, oh, Jake Nicholson's this movie. We're waiting for him, waiting for him, waiting for him, and like, holy shit, when he gets on screen and just the three to five minutes he's on the screen, he just steals the show. Definitely. That scene is his, and oh, totally. um, We said that. And uh, we kind of, I don't know if we skipped over or not, but Seymour is the one that's operating on Jack Nicholson's character on William Force or Wil- Wilberforce. Wilberforce. <laughs> that's just my name. My first name is Wilbur. My last name is Force. I don't have a middle name. But uh, <laughs> the reason why Seymour is working on Wilbur is because uh, Seymour, also, Seymour goes to the dentist for a, a toothache and he ends up accidentally killing the dentist who was a huge narcissist who loves inflicting pain on people. Mm-hmm. Hey, Seymour, I didn't know you were an elk. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take I'll take this one. I'll take this one. I'll take this one. I'll take this one. That's only one tooth. <laughs> Seymour, who's the dentist here? Me or you? <laughs> Are you practicing dentistry without a license? <laughs> <laughs> and he's getting those off like one off jokes oh you broke the mirror in my mouth <laughs> <laughs> I just swallow it yeah uh, so <laughs> trying how many Victims does Audrey Jr. end up getting? She gets. Is it the the railway? Uh, and then the um, who, dentist. The, the dentist, and is it the guy who tries to rob the flower shop? Yeah. And then he gets. Then she gets the. Uh, lack of a better term, I didn't want to call her a prostitute. Lady of the evening. But yeah, Lady of the evening. Yeah. What are they? They actually there was a when I was reading about the movie. What do they call it? A trollop. Trollop. <laughs> that'd work too. Like it. Cause I didn't really want to call her a hooker or anything, but she does call. She does call Seymour John, which is a term. So. Which that's that's an interesting scene too. That scene made me chuckle a few times too, and I don't know what part of that scene made me laugh more. Was it the uh, uh, Seymour in that scene, or was it the bad ADR from that woman? Because <laughs> you could tell there's some stuff in that scene. There's straight up ADR over it. it. Does not match. Her lips do not move or anything. It sounds totally different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I think. Both. But I do enjoy this. Hmm? But I, I do enjoy the slapstick 
with uh, Seymour running old Seymour feud after uh, Seymour knows about the guy driving the store being fed to Audrey Jr. Mm. But uh, Seymour essentially has had enough of well after yeah it's right after Audrey Jr. ruins the date with uh, Audrey because he keeps being demanded to be fed that uh, Audrey runs off and Audrey too or Audrey Jr. decides to uh, quote unquote hypnotize Seymour somehow just by making him close his eyes. <laughs> so either uh, this is something I think could have been fixed with like for example they had since this is all filmed in black and white if they would have had like like a little fog machine or something like that so it had have uh, almost like Audrey Jr.'s given off like this pheromone or something like that to put Seymour under a spell that would have worked I think Mm-hmm. It's either that or uh, Seymour is very well. We see that Seymour can be very easily manipulated, but oh yeah. But I think it it would have it very, would have added. He's very open willed. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I think it would have. It just seemed, yeah, like it was way too easy for for RG Junior just to you know manipulate him and and get him to you know. Um, you know, to just you know, get him to do whatever, and you know, it just yeah, it would have it would have added you know so much more if that yeah, like a little bit of smoke or something, just something to be like, this is how he's like, you know, not himself, right? Because yeah, it, it's it seems uh, it's, it's a little too easy, but then but then he's also not the sharpest tool in the shed, so. Yes, you can give him that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so that, that if I could give like not to play Monday morning, uh, not to play Monday morning film director or editor, but that'd probably be one thing I would fix is to like, fix how, how Seymour is hypnotized by Audrey Jr. Mm-hmm. So essentially, all Junior says is close your eyes. Now open them. You're under my control. Like okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there should have been something like. But that. he he is a. <laughs> yeah, but he, that, that scene is very. I love all the. I do love all the like the slapstick comedy there. Seymour walk, walking headfirst in the trash can, then walking into the trash can, then. <laughs> running into the light post <laughs> and blinking his eyes in opposite with the lights flashing and oh, yeah it's like blink, blink. <laughs> uh, yeah that whole scene is pretty hilarious <laughs> although it's your you know your classic you know Classic comedy. <laughs> Seymour just sitting there. I need I need to find food for Master. For Master, I need to find food. I need to find Master food. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, this... And meanwhile, this... Uh, 
What'd you call her, a trotty woman? A trollop. He's like trying to. Uh, you know. A trollop, yeah. This yeah. trollop's trying to do stuff with Seymour. The first interaction, I thought he knocked that uh, kerchief out of her hand. I didn't see she dropped it, but. Yeah, because she was all, you know, oh, I dropped it, you know, like, hey, look at me, kind of thing. <laughs> and obviously, him being hypnotized, he's like, keeps... uh... <laughs> yeah, he's so... just out of it. He does not give two shits about this woman. Nope. <laughs> She's just trying so hard. And... <laughs> uh... <laughs> what's, what's the matter? Don't you like me? Too bony. <laughs> Too bony. Nobody's ever told me that before. Beef is better than veal. <laughs> You're such a dodo. What would you call this? Chopped liver? Master would like more fat. <laughs> well, he, he does play a... Uh, Seymour does, he does play it, John, the, the actor does, he does play it like he is under some kind of trance. You can hear it in his, a little bit in his delivery, so he's like, he's playing it like he's under a little bit of a trance. Mm-hmm. Like he sounds like Seymour, but it doesn't sound quite like Seymour, it doesn't sound like normal Seymour. Yeah. Yeah, so you know so that. You know, very convincing, very Definitely very convincing, like that he's. Yeah, he he's a clearly not not himself, you know. But obviously the the trollop misses that completely. <laughs> Although I don't know how you would, but uh... <laughs> she must have she must have been that desperate. She must have been that desperate for a date instead of like moving on to the next guy to walk by. She keeps pursuing Seymour, unless I guess there's not much business on Skid Row. Obviously not. <laughs> and uh, so she ends up becoming Seymour's next victim, or Aud- Aud- Audrey Junior's uh, fourth meal, like Taco Bell. She becomes his taco, her Taco Bell, her fourth meal. <laughs> uh, when uh, tells him to decide whether not to take or go to your place or my place, and flip a coin. Oh, I don't have a coin. Flip something, <laughs> spits on a rock, <laughs> picks up this huge ass rock. <laughs> Wet or dry? Wet. You know, if they would have played this, if they had this movie now, it would have been like, wet. Yeah. Well, Joel, speak of the devil, we are getting a we we are getting a 2019 or not 2019. We're getting what 2021. We're getting uh another little type of horrors because why make something creative? Why make something original when we can remake shit? Uh huh. Seriously, we're getting another one. Uh, yeah, I've seen headlines on uh, Facebook. Let's um, so get your salt shaker back out. Put them on your carnations. <laughs> but uh, 
But um, Chris Evans, his uh, Captain America himself has expressed interest in playing the dentist in another Little Shop of Horrors. That's right. We're not it's like, and we're off switching on IMD. We're off switching on IMDb. Um, like Scarlett Johansson's attached to it too. Mm. So I'm guessing she's obviously going to be Audrey. Obviously, yeah. It's like really. I I can't I can't see either of them in a movie like that. I just that's that's hard to well, imagine. <laughs> if that is true well, in a way well, which you never know. But well, what I want to know is are they gonna remake this one from nineteen sixty or are they gonna try to remake the Rick Moranis one? Well, exactly. I feel like I, I kind of feel like they would try and remake the Rick Moranis one just because it's like more people know about it. You know, more people know it, you know, but then I don't know. Would they, you know, would they try and copy it because, you know, the fans would be all like, oh, it's going to be the same or something, you know? So I don't know. You hear that? Same page. <laughs> I think they're going to remake. I bet. I bet they remake the Rick Moranis one too because it's more well known than this one is. Yeah, and well, like you know, I hadn't heard about this one. I didn't realize that there was, you know, this this one, and and not really many people know about it. So you know, why would they go with, you know, something that you know, um, that not many people know about instead of, you know, going something with, going with something that people know. So, yeah, I could, I could, yeah. Definitely they would be going the route of, of the Rick Moranis one. But just having, obviously, new characters and whatever. So, yeah. But... Well, Hollywood's out of ideas. What are we going to do? Exactly. It's, that's just it. They have no more ideas, so they just keep remaking things. And it's... Yeah, that's a whole other story. Side tangent. <laughs> well, as far as I know, Roger Cormoran's still alive, so they could use him as an advisor on the project. They used him, they used him in 1986... Yeah. Now that would be interesting if they, you know, if he was still willing and able to do that, you know, remake a, you know, it'd be interesting to see how he would do it now. You know, and maybe, you know, he would take a little bit from the, you know, not from the, the newer one. You know, it'd be interesting. But you never know. It's probably going to be. I don't know. Freaking J.J. Abrams directing or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I bet if they do, the pie goes. I'm betting. Like I bet. I'm betting this will be a Blumhouse thing. Mm, probably. 
Well, since they, you know, they recently did Invisible Man, so I could see. Yeah. They'd probably do that. Well, in a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks, Red Corn will be turning 94. Hmm. So, if, if he is still active, probably just be a production at best. If so they are going to use him, they better get going. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I I really would like to see them remake this. The shame Dick Miller wouldn't be alive to reprise his role. Yeah. But I think if you you know if you as much as I you know I don't like remakes or reboots or whatever because a lot of the times it just. You know, it's it's never the original, obviously, and it's just not the same. But, you know, it would be interesting for them to do a, a sort of more updated version of this one. I think that would be really, that would be really cool. Like, the, just, you know, having a little bit more money and a little bit more technology and, you know, things like that. And I think it would be, you know, it, it would be a pretty good film, maybe. If you have the right people and the right people that are... You know, the kind of people that are willing to make a, you know, decent movie and kind of, you know, um, you know, be nice to this version and make it better. I don't know. But, but the original is always the best, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Always got to be the original. Mm-hmm. Like no, no shade thrown towards nineteen eighty six musical, which, like we said, technically, it's an adaptation of nineteen eighty two, um, off Broadway production, mm-hmm. which was inspired by this. So again, yeah, you notice you do notice quite a bit of differences in the storyline between this and nineteen eighty six, which I don't get because, like you said, this film is very, very much like a stage play. Yeah. So I understand you need to throw some stuff. You could you could have easily made a musical out of this and kept some of the same story plots. Oh, definitely, yeah. Even you, you, you didn't have to, you didn't have to make Audrey Junior. Oh, okay. This one, Audrey. I keep getting mixed up. Audrey Junior is in this one. Audrey Two is in the in, musical. Yes. You didn't have to. You didn't have to make Audrey. You didn't have to make Audrey Two uh, a space or uh, something from Audrey space like it was in the musical you could have done what it was in uh this one made it just a mysterious bulb that Seymour bought off a japanese man and mm-hmm. i can't remember the whole i i can't remember the whole imdb trivia but the joke of where the japanese man found it was lost gets lost in generations it's like a, a very dated reference to 1959 because if he, uh, he said he found the bulb outside some cranberry fields, and that dates back to some. I had to go back and reread it, but um, um, I'll be sure to like make a comment about it on the Facebook page when I post this episode when I relook at it. But um, something to do with uh, cranberries back in the fifties, and I don't know if the I have to look it up, but yeah, but they said that that joke gets lost on modern audiences just because of how dated that reference is. Mm. But 
I don't know a whole lot about adapting stuff like this into a musical or even a stage play. This could easily be a good, easily adapted into a stage play without the songs too. Oh, um, that, that wouldn't be very hard to do. I don't think anyway. <clears throat> you would need many sets. You just need the flower shop, uh, Seymour's mother's apartment, and um, the dentist's office. The dentist's office would be like a quick little backdrop. Yeah, like it would be one of those things where you could even like, you know, have it tucked in behind something and then, okay, pull it out for that scene or whatever, you know, like it would just be, you know, would be pretty easy, a simple little play. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it very much is like you just see, you know, when you're you're watching it and, and it's just, yeah, you know that like the... The, the background like the buildings on the, in the street are like are painted buildings and you know whatever like it's it's very much like that's that's where it reminded me it was like yeah it's like pretty much like a stage play because it's just you know it's it's creating the the environment and it suits the environment you know for the the world that they're making but you know that it's you know it's just simple sets but you know it it doesn't take away from the movie at all like it it's you know, it's got a lot of charm and and you know dark humor to it, and you know, so yeah. And it would be you know cool if they did make it into a like this one into you know like stage play or whatever, because it wouldn't be very hard to do. But not at all. You don't think it's like just like just like this production, just like this production, the biggest. Biggest expense would be making uh, an Audrey 2 or an Audrey Jr. That'd be your only big expense, just making the puppet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Locally here, um, mini side tangent, but still relates. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, I think it's, oh, we have a bunch of production companies here. Um, I think it's All the Days Productions. Um, they're doing a play of Little Shop of Horrors. So I kind of want to see that because I think it would be kind of neat to see them do this. So I think they're doing it as a musical. Like as, as I'm not sure. But, yeah, that would be a, be fun to see, see what they do maybe, with it. Maybe you should go check it out. Check it out and then do a video for us. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'll definitely do that. So you have to wait, listeners. <laughs> if I if I'm able to go see it, um, I'll post a little something about it on on Facebook. Yeah, definitely true. I, I wouldn't. If, oh, I would, it'd be cool if. Quad cities somewhere around here did not little shop of horrors. Um, I'd definitely go see it. And like I don't mean to, I don't mean to shit on the Rick Moranis version at all. It, yeah. Like I enjoyed it, but I could poke a lot of holes in it. Like I, I was joking earlier, I go I think the feminist to me doesn't know what to think about Steve Martin smacking around uh Audrey. Mm. But uh like I always find Steve Martin and Bill Murray and Rick Moranis entertaining. Um, I just don't know what to think of it, but I do. I don't know if I'm just 
playing favorites to this one. So I, I just do love the simplicity of this one. It's got it's complex, but at the same time, it still is pretty simple. Yeah, I agree. Like I think, I think this one, and I kind of you could, you could create a drinking game at how many times to say the movie has charm, <laughs> but it really does. Like it just yeah. it's it's a definitely a, like a different kind of movie, and you know I you know if I was gonna. Like I would like to watch the the Rick Moranis one because it's been many years since I've seen it, um, but it would be like I kind of want to watch that one and then you know watch this one and I think honestly I think I would love the nineteen this nineteen sixty version much better. Like I already have I already love this movie. Like I think it's really good, um, and it's a lot of fun, and so yeah I think this one would be you know a lot better. I think just. It has its its innocence and it's also kind of dark undertones and you know all these cast of quirky characters and things like that and I just yeah I think it's like uh, you know the other one's okay like not you know but I think this one's better yeah and uh maybe we should probably finish up finish up here the plot of the movie where um. Uh, Seymour is going to be given an award for Audrey Jr. Mm, yes. And uh, they're not going to give him the award until the uh, the pedals, not the pedals, but the, uh, I don't know my flower terminology. I just saw this movie twice bloom? in a row last night. Oh. Um, the bloom on the flower opens. Yeah. So when the flower starts to bloom, the... Uh, is all it's we're led to believe it's supposed to be the faces of uh, the dentist, the thief, the uh, the cop. Which another thing going back to the cop. How did, did the train take some of the body with it? Because how did Seymour fit that huge guy into that little bag? Exactly. <laughs> He wouldn't have been able to carry him. Like, who does he? Who does he carry? Slit. Is it the first victim that he carries? And he's like, "Oh, what do you do? You, oh, what's the line? Um, you know, he's hung, hungry or something. Oh my goodness! With yeah. I'm but carrying like, my dirty. Oh, with I'm carrying my dirty laundry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the. That's that's the. That's a dentist. Okay. So I was going to say, like, yeah, he couldn't have carried the, the railway detective. Like, that just wouldn't have... <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. Well, so I don't I mean, know. if you just saw how do he fit that whole detective in that bag. That's what I want to know. That bag is not all the way full. No. So I guess the train didn't leave much of him behind. Oh, obviously. It would have chewed him up. <laughs> if we're thinking morbidly. <laughs> well, when it made contact, it was going like a whole five miles an hour at start. Then it went from like zero to five miles an hour to 60 miles an hour like that. <laughs> so, you know, you never know. Yeah. Uh, he, dropped, he, drops the, uh, he drops the laundry line on Audrey when it's... Uh, 
when he's carrying the dentist, in, which I don't know how he carried the dentist all the way down from the dentist's office without anybody seeing him. Exactly. Right? Maybe it's that, Skid Row, nobody cared. Yeah, it's it's that oh the the irony of it that oh suddenly everybody's looking one way like oh we're all busy doing something and <laughs> and you know oh we don't yeah. see anything you know or the or the the purposely purposefully yeah, placed stuff right like oh <laughs> yeah yeah at least with the- at least, at least with the cop, at least with the detective, it was in a bag and it was nighttime, so he could get away with it, oh, or he could hide a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so the the flower starts. Audrey Junior starts to bloom, and it's we're led to believe it's the faces of the all the victims, and a giant chase ensues with between uh, Seymour the detectives. Frank and Joe, and then uh, Bushnick. (laughs) (laughs) This round and round and round chase through a junkyard, (laughs) (laughs) which reminded me very much, reminded me very much of a like another '60s style cheesy horror movie called The Undertaker and His Pals. If you can find that one, check it out. It's more of like it's got more of a surfer vibe to it. Okay. But that's what the chase scene reminded me of when I watched it. And um, Seymour is able to evade the cops and Mushnick by hiding five feet in front of them <laughs> under a toilet. It's <laughs> 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 like when I make it, when I watched it last night, it's like, are they deaf? How do they not hear that toilet seat open right behind them? Right. They were five feet away from him when he peeked his head out. Yeah. And they don't see him. Like, wow, guys. (laughs) Full observation skills. And and are we allowed to assume that they go to look for him some more? Is that how Seymour is able to beat them back to the flower shop? Probably. I would think so. Like they would. Yeah. Oh, let's let's like double back and go look for him here because I feel like he might be over here. And then okay, then you know Seymour takes that opportunity, right? While they're distracted with whatever, and he would go back beat them there, and you know. So I can see that. Because how else would he would Seymour get there before they did, you know? Oh. Them's the breaks, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I do love the 60s jargon in this movie. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so Seymour decides he's had enough of Audrey, Audrey Jr., decides he's going to kill it. Which, bum, bum, bum. Seymour is ultimately killed by Audrey when his face appears in, a, in one of the, the petals. <laughs> we get the final. I didn't mean it, which something it means a lot more. We should mention earlier in the episode. While I did say it when at the beginning of the episode, I didn't mean it, um, which is Seymour's catchphrase he uses over and over again. When I didn't mean it. So when Seymour is, I didn't mean it. Oh, you sent you sent the Goodwill flowers to the funeral. You didn't mean it. <laughs> you sent the black lilies. 
the old woman in the hospital. You didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like so, in the. How do you? Sorry, go ahead. I like in the one of the. I can't remember which exact scene it was, but like, oh, uh, I want um, ordering flowers, and like, oh, I want nine thousand of of these flowers, whatever. And it's like, really, nine thousand? It's like, who's gonna count all those? <laughs> Is it the the girls that come in to yeah. order their flowers yeah. for the? Yeah, those girls come back a lot. And the other thing I thought was weird is wow, they really turn into groupies for Seymour, right? Just yeah, yeah. All over, all because of Andre Junior. They're so excited to see him. It's like. It's like John Lennon or Paul McCartney just walked into the store and they just start fangirling all over him. <laughs> it's like, all right. Every time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, Seymour. Somebody's got a fangirl. Oh, you... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's your uh, what's your uh, feelings on the ending of this movie with Seymour uh, getting taken out by Audrey Junior? I think it was it it worked because I think you know he's you know as you kind of see throughout the the movie he's not he's not the sharpest tool in the shed and he. He's easily manipulated by Audrey Jr. And you kind of <clears throat> you kind of see it coming, but then it's also, well, maybe he would actually, you know, get up the courage to, you know, get rid of Audrey Jr. once he's like, okay, that's enough. But then it's like, well, nope. And, you know, he gets eaten up and, you know, that's it. That's he's done. And I think I think that's appropriate. I think if he you know, it also could have worked like if he, you know, chopped her up to pieces or whatever. But I think it just—it's appropriate for him to go out the way that he did. You know. Well, he did. He did get kind of get the courage to take Audrey Junior out, but just end up being his downfall. So maybe you could say he should, he could have uh, approached it better. I think so. I think so. Maybe he could get an axe to her. Yeah, yeah. I think like he he sort of okay. He's making this this decision, this sort of spot on decision that like okay, that's it. I'm gonna get rid of this plant, and then you know it doesn't go the way that he wants. And yeah, he he could have he could have planned it out better. He could have you know he could have even you know had more people help him do this, but he didn't. And then it you know ultimately it failed, but. I think it it you know it works, especially for for a character. Yeah, if he poor poor sad sack like Seymour. <laughs> yeah. And maybe if you like taking an axe and start chopping at the stems and the veins and the flowers and everything, 
power worked a lot better than taking a knife and getting inside Audrey Jr.'s mouth. Yeah. Like, you know... Come on, you can't tell me he didn't know that he wouldn't be... Like, that he'd be eaten, or that he wouldn't be eaten. Like, come on, you can't think, oh, he's not gonna eat me. Well, you're... You're doing it to yourself there. <laughs> you gotta suffer the consequences. You have no idea what kind. You have no idea what kind of plant this is, and he was so convinced numerous times that Audrey Jr. was done eating. Done eating. It's not gonna get any bigger. It's done eating. Mm. I know. <laughs> yeah. What do you What do you think of it? Like, did he? Could you know? Do you think he? Like, it kind of said, like, he could have planned it better, or do you think he it was good for him to go out the way he did? Well, he definitely could have planned it better. I, I have no problem with him dying in the end, mm. but I just think his his approach, just to how he, how he approached everything, like, like you said, and like, well, what did you, you're, instead of taking an axe to this thing or burning it or whatever... Could have just gone inside the, just taking care of it like that. But you decided to go inside the mouth, so it kind of it fits in the, it fits in the type of sad sack that uh, Seymour is. I think so. I have no problem with him dying in the end. Um, yeah, I don't either. It's, it's that one part, like it's you know, it's totally okay. You know, I was saying he could he could have approached it better. Yeah. Um, his, he could have his attack could have been better, but um, if if you wanted him to live, but the way he goes after it does hit the character, so it's very suiting him way for him to die instead of like him trying to chop Audrey Junior up with an axe and Audrey Junior wraps him up in in veins or something and chokes him to death or something, or mm-hmm. pulls him in instead of him just going into the mouth. So well, I probably. Would've, so maybe if Bob Jr. like would have pulled him in or something, then probably would have been a little bit better. Yeah, like you, you could have seen, like you know, you do see you know enough of of Audrey Jr., but you really don't see a lot. Like in the sense of, yeah, like can this plant attack? Like you know, grab somebody in lunchtime, right? Like that would have been kind of cool to see. Like oh boy, like this plant. You know, it sat there this whole time. It ate people. You saw that. But, like, oh, it can, you know, reach out with its vines and, you know, grab people. You know, but, you know, or just, you know, grab Seymour and eat him, right? <laughs> it might have added uh, a little that, that, to it, but. That might, be, that, might be, that might be a budget restraint, too. Probably, yeah, because that, that would have been, you know quite the thing to figure out and especially for the time too like the time and then yeah the resources and and things like that so i think you know i i I like how it ended i think it was you know he you know seymour brought it on himself and he ultimately suffered you know the consequences of it so you know i think it works i think it works well so So, any closing thoughts on Little Shop of Horrors? I really enjoyed the movie. I think it's a very good movie. Definitely, you know, if, you know, 
you know, if I had to choose between this movie and, you know, Endgame, I'm choosing this black and white 1960 Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> Uh, I agree. I, it's a cult classic for a reason. I believe on the, I didn't when I bought it. I didn't even buy it in an actual DVD case. It came in like one of those little cheap cardboard cases, and it said a cult classic on it. Um, this is a true definition of a good a cult classic. Um, it kind of breaks hard that it's so not as known. I don't know if it's a generation thing or maybe just the popularity of the 1986 version like buried it or or what but um Cause it you know it, it could have been you know it, it does make me kind of sad that like I you know that it's not well more well known and, and like yeah it could be a generational thing but if you think of a lot of these, you know, classic black and white movies that have come out, although, like, yeah, you know, the actors are a little more well-known, but they're still around. You can still watch them. You can, you know, like, things like, you know, um, you know, the Maltese Falcon and Gone with the Wind and, like, all these classic movies, they're still around. And, like, this one just completely kind of went under the radar and... I think that's kind of sad because it's it's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it was the the Rick Moranis version that just buried it, or I don't know. It just it may be that because um, <laughs> this was really made this was really made a time before remakes and reboots became as plentiful as they are now um mm-hmm. probably because that was made more of the time when they're adapting uh musicals to movies yeah um so I, I don't know why maybe cause i don't want to say it was public domain because night of the living dead is public domain and that's still well known amongst the masses yeah. Might be considered might be considered called classic to some. Might be just considered a classic. As I consider Night Living Dead a classic. That's a public domain movie, and that was made two years before Little Shop of Horrors was. Yeah. But um, who knows? But uh, hopefully this this podcast will help keep this movie alive and people's thoughts and hearts. Um. Sorry, a little bit of heartburn there for a second. <clears throat> I had too many gardenias at dinner. Too many <laughs> gardenias and carnations. <laughs> told you. Told you not to eat so many of those. But did you listen? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any live. I don't want to live out of you. <laughs> it grows like cold it grows like cold on the lip. <laughs> Oh, there you have it, folks. We actually kept a somewhat structured conversation this time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You kept on topic, which is, you can 
put a mark on the wall for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And side relatable. Oh. So. <laughs> We're improving. We are. <laughs> Look at us. Uh, <laughs> So, happy 60th anniversary, Little Shop of Horrors. Um, great little cult movie out of the out of nineteen sixty from Roger Corman, who just churns out lots of cult classics. Look him, look up Roger, uh, yeah, Roger Corman. Um, dude just creates like a cult classic after a cult classic, and I said this is one of the best. Um, yeah. I'll have to redo that. Um, yeah, so Little Shop of Horrors. Happy 60th anniversary of Slinging Flowers on Skid Row to Seymour and to Audrey Jr. Um, if you haven't seen this, if we haven't spoiled it too much, I, we were kind of vague with the plot because we jumped all over the place, but we did nail it down pretty well. Um, if you like a good horror comedy that has a... This, it's got some dark humor in it, but it's not in a dark, morbid kind of way. More of like a blacker kind of comedy, like a black comedy, like a dark black comedy. I like that. Uh, like a, uh, think of an example. Um, I don't want to say it's like an Evil Dead kind of black comedy, but more like, because that's more slapstick humor. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe in a way of like, you know, well, I don't mean, well, it's a kind of different this movie, more, more like an American world from London kind of vibe. That kind of like a black humor to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that's black, dark humor, black, dark humor, but still sort of an innocent and fun movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. Probably more innocent than American world from London, but yeah. But the the dark humor in it is very similar to like like American World from London style dark humor. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say. So where can our listeners find you? Well, they can find me on the tweets and Instagrams. Um, you can find me on Instagram at. Uh, Miss Melissa N twenty five. That's all lowercase, all one, basically all one jumbled up thing. Um, and then on Twitter, you can find me at the same, uh, basically the same uh, handle, Miss Melissa N. Just no twenty five at the end of that. So you can find me there. Where can they find you, Jared? You can find me on the tweets and Instagrams at QCA underscore mista m-i-s-t-a underscore j um mostly on instagram you'll find pictures of my cats and of me doing tug of war or some of my drawings every now and then uh twitter i'm off and on uh, every now and then i'm also just tweeting the colorado avalanche and their commentator connor mcgahee <laughs> um, um you can also find us as a podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and now on Instagram. I just posted a bunch of pictures from my trip to Nashville and St. Louis from uh, not too long ago, into February, beginning of March, uh, where I went to the Superman Museum and did some nerdy sightseeing in St. Louis at the St. Louis Walk of Fame. 
the Tower Dome of Vincent Price. Uh, I also finally, after I don't know how many videos I promised to upload, but I finally did one. It was uh, like a brief overview of what I did that weekend. Um, and I guess that that video, guys, I'll try to make up on some of those other videos I promised. Uh, maybe I'll wait till Halloween and Christmas to do those other ones. I'll try to throw some other comic book reviews in there. If we get Melissa to go watch Little Shop of Horrors, uh, we'll get her to do a review on that. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, you can also you can also find us on Podbean, our home, our home on Skid Row, <laughs> and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a review and a rating. I'm checking now to see if we have any more ratings and reviews. And it's not like we don't have any more reviews right now. Well, hear that, everybody? You need to go and do some like and uh, subscribe to Apple Pod or podcast on Apple Podcasts, and and make sure to leave a rating and and leave a little review about about the show. And and uh, yeah, definitely be sure to to do that because that kind of gets our that gets our podcast our little podcast out there a little bit more. So. Um, definitely go ahead and do that. Should we tell them what we're talking about next time? Sure. Give them a little. All right. So this, this was, uh, this next episode was your idea. So I'll let, let them give you a little tease of what our next episode will be. It will be another anniversary episode. So, uh, also go ahead and give them, uh, what you thought up for us for our next episode. So yeah, our next episode is going to be um, celebrating another uh, anniversary of a movie, and it's the 30th anniversary of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Um, yeah, so it's celebrating its 30th anniversary, so we thought, why not? Let's let's talk about it, and maybe we'll eat some pizza. I don't know, because we know how much the Ninja Turtles like their pizza. <laughs> So we're also going to have, yeah. <laughs> just make sure there's no penicillin on it. Cause that just wouldn't be good. <laughs> but <laughs> very, um, and Not we're going to also have a special guest on who also like us loves the movie. So, and is I'm sure super excited to be talking about it. So that's what you have to look forward to next. And um, we really hope that you enjoyed this episode and hope you enjoyed the, the upcoming one even more. Well, guys, thanks for listening to our 60th anniversary episode of A Little Shop of Horrors. Be sure to turn in next time for uh, the 30th anniversary of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And always remember, beef is better than veal. See you guys. Thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.